the survey went on and it, it, it asked people questions about numerous things that they thought were in the Bible and they said they were, but they really weren't. And so there's a huge percentage of people who believe things about God that really aren't true. A.W. Tozer one time made this statement. He said, he said, we tend by a secret law of the soul to move ourselves towards our mental image of God. So however you perceive God to be, you will draw your spirit to that image. And if you have a wrong image of God, then you're drawing your spirit to a false image or to an urban legend or to a myth. And your beliefs about God will make a huge difference in how you live your life. And so today I want to expose another one of those urban legends that we're talking about in this series. Because the way you see yourself actually affects the way you see yourself. And I'll tell you why. Because you're created in God's image. And if you have a warped view of God, then you're going to have a warped view of who you are. So what's God really like? Well, when Jesus came, he kind of exploded a lot of the myths about what God was like because many people thought that God was someone who was distant. He was powerful maybe, but he wasn't personal. And Jesus taught us that the number one way to think about God was to think about him. Remember when the disciples came and they said, Hey, Jesus, how do you snuggle up next to God? How do you get close to God if you really want to speak to Him? And Jesus said, Well, if you want that feeling you had when you were wearing pajamas with feet in the bottom, you say, Our Father who art in heaven. You know, over 150 times in the Bible, God is referred to as Father, as a Heavenly Father. But I'll tell you the problem with that. And that's this, because many of us have painful memories of our fathers. And so it's not a positive thing to refer to God as Father. I think you can understand in many cultures why the Virgin Mary is so significant. Because, you know, you say, you mean there's a big one of those? And he comes home and he knocks me till my ears are ringing and he slaps me, you know, mom down the stairs. And, you know, and so their image of God has been destroyed by their earthly father. And so... They think sometimes, and even people in our culture think of God as someone who's aloof or he's distant. He may be uncaring. He might be perceived as being unconcerned about us. And so we think of Father toward, we put our earthly Father towards Him. Now, the question really is, what kind of Father is God? What's He really like? And if you have a misconception about what God is like, I think you're going to find yourself worrying about things that you don't need to worry about. I think you're going to find yourself feeling guilty in situations you don't need to feel guilty in. I think you're going to find yourself carrying burdens and, and fears that maybe you don't need to carry, all because you misunderstood who God really is. Now, whenever someone tells me that they don't believe in God, and believe me, I've had many of those airplane experiences. You can imagine when you're a pastor, you know, what do you do? I work for so. What do you do? I'm a pastor. And you get into these incredible conversations, you know. But I've had so many people say to me, you know, I don't believe in God. And my response is, tell me about the God you don't believe in. What's he like? And after they describe it to me, I say to them, I don't believe in that God either. Because they've had such misconceptions about who God really is. So let's take a look at a couple of the urban legends and, uh, today. And the first one is this, that God is unreasonable. And by the way, even believers fall for this urban legend. And it kind of goes like this. God, he just places so many demands on my life. There's no way that I could possibly do all that God has required of me. He's too strict. He's too unrealistic. He's too unreasonable. He's always wanting me to, you know, 
be good, but it's always boring. He doesn't want me to have any fun. He's a killjoy. He's kind of a Puritan grandfather who's always got a scowl on his face. Now, this is not a new myth, by the way. I mean, it's, it's the very first recorded words of Satan. Back in Genesis chapter 3, when God created the garden, he put Adam and Eve into a perfect environment. And this is the first myth about God that Satan tried to get Adam and Eve to believe. God said to Adam and Eve, I've put you here in this paradise. You can do anything you want in the garden. It's all for you. Eat anything. Do anything. You know, there's just one thing that I don't want you to do. There's one tree of all the thousands of trees in the garden I don't want you to eat from. Now, let me ask you a question. Is that unreasonable? You know, it's not like he said 90% of the garden's off limits. They can do anything they want. The only way they can sin is to eat of that one tree. It's the one thing that's off limits. And I think the reason that he wanted to provide something that was off limits is so it gives us a choice. I'll tell you why. God wants us to love him because we choose to love him, not because we don't have any other choice. God is not Gestapo. He doesn't put a Colt 45 to our head and say, do you love me? Because we would say yes. But that's not love. Love is reciprocal. God has made a gesture to us and he wants us to choose to love him back. And so there's choices to be made. You know, you put a kid in a room with 50 candy bars and you put one marshmallow on a plate and you tell the kid, you can eat any candy bar you want, but whatever you do, don't touch that marshmallow. What do you think he's going to do? He's going to touch the marshmallow. Notice what God says in Genesis chapter 2 there in your study notes. It's on the inside of your bulletin. Genesis 2.16 You are free to eat from any tree in the garden, but you not, must not eat from the tree of knowledge of good and evil. For when you eat from it, you will certainly die. Now look what happens when Satan comes along in chapter 3. He says, Now the serpent was more crafty than any of the other animals that the Lord had made. And he said to the woman, woman did, you re- did God really say you must not eat from, and look at that word, any tree in the garden? I hope you catch the shift there. He's switching the truth for a lie and he's reversing it. God had said, just, just can't eat from that one tree. And Satan says, God, God says you can't eat from any of them. He's trying to make God appear unreasonable. God's put you in paradise. He's given you this desire. And now he's a sadist and he's not going to let you eat from any of it. No, that's an old myth. And I'll tell you, people fall for it today, too. I don't know how many of you are parents, but if you've ever had twin daughters... And you'd say something to them like this, I want you to wear your helmet every time you ride your bike. And the reason is I want you to wear it for your protection. But let's say that you have a son and he wants to play flashlight tag with some older kids in the neighborhood. And so I say, I want, to, I want you to have a good time, but I'd like you to be home by 9.30. And inevitably your child is going to say, you never let me have any fun. You know, uh, I don't know if... You said, I didn't say they couldn't have any fun. But to them, now the whole world is off limits. They think it's unreasonable for, for somebody to put any type of limitation on them. You're a killjoy. You're too strict. You know, I shouldn't have to listen to you. And the whole time, you're saying these things out of love. Now, we treat God exactly like our kids treat us. God has given us so many gifts, and He's... And when he puts any restriction on one of those gifts, we say, 
you are being unreasonable, God. You know, we should have no limitations on us. You are a killjoy. You're not being fair. And the truth is, God is not unreasonable, but the Bible says that he's a compassionate father. And when somebody is compassionate, that means that they're motivated out of love. And everything that God does, even when he says no to certain things, he does because he loves us. Everything you have in life is a gift of God. And God wants you to enjoy those gifts, but he doesn't want you to abuse those gifts. He doesn't want you to misuse them because you'll get hurt. For instance, is water a gift from God? I mean, you can't live without water. I think I read someplace that 90% of your body is water, you know. But can water be misused? Sure. You can drown. How about fire? A great gift. It warms, it illuminates, it cooks. But fire out of control, as we've seen on the TV this week, destroys. Is food a gift from God? Yes. Can food be abused? Absolutely. Is sex a gift from God? <laughs> Guy in the back row just woke up. Uh, you know. Can it be abused? Yes. What happens is people complain, God is unreasonable. He gives us these sexual drives and desires, and then he puts limitations on them. I mean, there should be no limitations. I should be able to use my sexual drive any way I want to. Don't you think that God knows a little bit better than you? What if everybody in the world used sex the way that God had intended? There'd be no abuse, no rapes, no molestation. There would be no broken hearts or broken homes because of infidelity. There'd be no forced marriages. There'd be no guilt over it. There'd be no shame over it. God says you can have all the sex you want. It's my gift to you, but I insist that you reserve it only for the person that you're married to, for your own physical and emotional protection. Because sex without commitment is destructive. But when people say, oh, but God is so unreasonable. No, he's compassionate. And any time God says no to you, it's because he loves you. It's because he wants what's best for you. No, not because he's an ogre or, or some killjoy, but because he really does care. And I believe that one of Satan's goals is to somehow convince you that obeying God and having any fun in life are mutually exclusive. And then he adds, Satan does, God doesn't love you. He wants you to be miserable. He wants to take away all your joy. Now, if you think God doesn't want you to have a fulfilling life, then I'll tell you, you've been duped by Satan. Look at these verses, Psalm 37, 4 in your study notes. Delight yourself in the Lord and he will give you the desires of your heart. Now, does that sound like he's being unreasonable? 1 Timothy six seventeen, Put your hope in God who richly provides us with everything for our enjoyment. Romans eight thirty two. Since he did not spare his own son, but gave him up for us all, won't he also give us everything else? I mean, does that sound like someone who wants to make your life miserable? You know, when I was single, probably the verse that I clung to more than any other was Psalm 84:11, the second half of the verse. And it says, no good thing does he withhold from them who walk uprightly. And I just kept saying, man, I want to be an upright person because I want a good thing. <laughs> you know. God is a compassionate father. He loves to give to his children. You know, Kathy and I, at Christmas time, we, we like getting gifts, but we even like more giving gifts to our children. And it's so much fun to watch them open and see the excitement that they have. And God enjoys watching what he has given to you and you opening at those gifts. In fact, one time Jesus said in Matthew seven eleven, and I'll paraphrase, if you being an imperfect parent know how to give good gifts to your children... 
how much more will your Father in heaven give good gifts to you? And you know what I say? Oh, thank heaven for Matthew 7.11. You know. <laughs> God is not unreasonable, but He's compassionate. And every time He says no, there are a thousand yeses. All right. Here's a second urban legend, and it's that God is unreliable. And this one says that God can't be trusted, that he's inconsistent, he'll lie to you, he's fickle, he keeps changing his mind, he acts one way one day and another way the other day. And again, I'll tell you what, this is as old as the Garden of Eden. Pick it up at verse 2 of chapter 3 in Genesis. Of course we may eat fruit from the trees in the garden, the woman replied. It's only the fruit from the tree in the middle of the garden that we are not allowed to eat. God said you must not eat, eat it, or even touch it. Now, had God said you can't touch it? He hadn't said that. We sometimes add things to things that God never said. He says, if you do, you will die. You won't die, the, the serpent replied to the woman. God knows that your eyes will be open as soon as you eat it, and you will be like God, knowing both good and evil. And there are two phases of temptation right here. Phase one is for you to doubt, and phase two is to be deceived. And the way the devil tempts you is first he tries you to doubt what God has really said. Did God really say it was wrong? Did he really mean it when he said it? And maybe he meant it then, but he doesn't really mean it now. And so he tries to get you to doubt the truth of God's word. And then the second thing he does is he offers his own lie. I can't, it can't hurt anybody. Nobody's ever going to know. Everybody does it. Just this once, and doubt, then deception, and the result of that is destruction. You reap what you sow, the Bible says. And, and you can, the, uh, the truth is that God is not unreliable. He's a constant, consistent Father. And He can be counted on to always act in love towards you. Now, I know that some of you may have grown up with unpredictable fathers. I, ha- I know one guy who said, man, I never knew whether my dad was going to hug me or slug me. Uh, some of you maybe have been that way. You know, they're either silent or violent, either tender or tough. Don't know if they're going to accept you or reject you at any moment. And some of you grew up with parents that were very inconsistent in their attitudes toward you. Maybe inconsistent fathers, is true, produce insecure kids. The problem is that some of you have taken that image of your own earthly dad and you somehow transfer that to your eternal heavenly father. And you think that that's the way that God treats you. You think that maybe one day God's happy with you and the next day he's mad at you. One day he likes you and the next day he wants to kick you. Well, how much time do you want to spend with somebody who's inconsistent? I don't want to spend time with somebody like that. You don't want to spend any time with them. And that's why we tend not to pray. Because you don't know if God's going to like you on that particular day. Listen, God doesn't have bad hair days. He's not temperamental. He doesn't wake up grumpy certain mornings. He's always consistent, always reliable. I read an article that said the number one reason that children rebel against their parents is because of resentment. And the number one cause of resentment is broken promises. You know, well, Dad, you promised you'd do this, or Mom, you promised you'd do that. And a broken promise leads to resentment, and resentment often leads to rebellion. And God is not the type of father who says one thing and then he doesn't do it. 
One thing you can always count on is that God will love you and he's not going to change. And I put several verses in your study notes there that you can check out later on. God is consistently compassionate. And then the third urban legend today is that God is unconcerned with me. You know, this is a big one because it'll cause a lot of unhappiness if you buy into it. This one says God is unconcerned with me because I'm insignificant. I don't want to bother God with my problems because, you know, he's got to deal with much bigger problems. I mean, he's got world situations. And my problems just seem so petty and insignificant that God wouldn't be interested in me. He's too busy and I don't want to bother him. And then, of course, Satan comes along and he whispers in your ear, who do you think you are? You know, you're bringing your problem to God? You're worthless. Why would God care about you? Now, this is one of the most destructive myths out there, and Satan loves to perpetuate on you, and if you buy into it, it will make you miserable. The truth is that God is a caring Father. He's caring and He's close. Matthew 10.29 says this, Are not two sparrows sold for a penny? And yet not one of them will fall to the ground outside of your Father's care. And so if God cares about little dinky birds, and one of them falls, and He's aware of it, don't you think that he's intimately aware of every detail in your life? God doesn't go into overload. And if you think that he's unconcerned about you, then you have a misbelief or a myth belief. You have a misconception about God. And that's why he wants you to talk to him about your life. Nothing is too small or too insignificant to be out of the, his care. Look at this verse. I, I know you've heard it before. Matthew 10, 30. And the very hairs on your head are numbered. He also knows the true color. So don't be afraid. You're more valuable to him than a whole flock of sparrows. And if you don't realize the fact that, that God loves you and has, has put intrinsic value on your life because of what he did through the person of Jesus Christ, then I think that you could experience a lot of depression in life. In fact, psychologists tell us the number one root of unhappiness is confused identity. And when you don't really know who you are, it causes a lot of problems. In fact, as a pastor, I've talked to scores of people, and I've concluded that most people really don't understand totally who they are themselves. And the issue of identity is this. Who am I? Do I matter? Does my life count? Does my life have any value? And am I worth anything? Now, psychologists also tell us that a lot of your identity comes from what your parents thought about you. For instance, if you had a father who said you're never going to amount to anything, then you're going to build your life on that. You know, you're incompetent, you're clumsy, you're lazy. I have a friend who uh, I've known for years, and he, and he told me that even after his dad was six years in the grave, he was still battling those voices in his head to try to prove to his father that he was something different than what his father had called him as a boy growing up. And so you tend to act that out the rest of your life. We set ourselves up by why we think our parents thought of us or our dads thought of us. And that's what psychology says. But God says it really doesn't matter that much what your parents thought about you because they're imperfect and they make mistakes. What really counts is what your Heavenly Father says about you because that's the truth. And the truth of God is this, that He says there's amazing things about who you are. You don't need everybody's approval in life to be happy. All you need is to know the truth about who you are. And the truth is God says you're worth much and that he cares about you. 
You know, today we have a lot of kids growing up with absentee fathers. They're, they're either, you know, on the road a lot or they're distant and aloof when they're home or they're uninvolved in their children's lives. And the problem is many of you take that image of dad and you put that over to your heavenly father and you think somehow he's remote as well. And so we have people like Bette Midler singing, from a distance God is watching. That's just not true. Jesus said in John 14, 23, that God wants to live in you. He wants to put His Spirit into you. And the result of that is that you really don't need to worry. Matthew six thirty three. So do not worry, saying, what shall we eat or what shall we drink? What shall we wear? For the pagans run after these things, and your heavenly Father knows that you need them. But seek first His kingdom and His righteousness, and all these things will be given to you. So you know what you're doing? When you worry, you're acting like an atheist. You're basically pretending that God doesn't exist. You're saying God helps those who help themselves. But that's not in the Bible. The Bible says God helps those who ask Him and depend on Him. So don't buy into the myth that God doesn't care. One final one today. One final urban legend. And that's this, that God is unpleasable. You know, some of you had unpleasable parents, and, and you kind of put this idea over in your Heavenly Father. It goes like this. If you got C's, how come you're not getting B's? And if you got B's, how come you're not getting A's? And if you got A's, how come you're not getting A pluses? You know, and, and you get the impression that you're never quite good enough to please your dad or your mom. You know, And, and if, if you straighten up your room, there's always found something that was out of place. It was never good enough. And some of you think that somehow that's how God is. You're never good enough. That God is somehow disappointed, that He's discouraged, and that you're letting Him down. Now, if that's really what you think, and if you wonder why you, then you, then you'll know why you don't talk to Him very often. I don't know if you like hanging out with people who are always disappointed in you. I don't. So is God unpleasable? No. The Bible says He's a gracious Father. And that means he gives you what you need and not what you deserve. You know, if all we get is what we deserve, none of us would be sitting here today. So what do you need to do in order to have God accept you? Here's the answer. You might even want to write this down. Nothing. Nothing. There's nothing you can do to be accepted. You can simply accept what Christ has already done for you. And that's called grace. Look at this verse in 1 Corinthians 6.11. And that is what some of you were, but you were washed and you were sanctified and you were justified. That means you were made right in the name of the Lord Jesus Christ and by the Spirit of our God. My dad used to have a great phrase to describe what a Christian was. He said, it's somebody who has accepted their acceptance. I love that phrase, accepting your acceptance. So notice this verse, Ephesians 1.4. Even before he made the world, God loved us and chose us in Christ to be holy and without fault in his eyes. So let me say something that will shock you as we close today. God is never disappointed in you. You say, well, how can that be? I'm disappointed in myself. That's because you don't know yourself. Disappointment means that something happened that you didn't expect. And God already knew all the dumb things you were going to do in your life. He already knows the sins that you're going to commit. 
So it's not like he's shocked. You know, dear God, I want to let you know, oh, you're kidding, Bill. I must have been in India at the time. No, God is gracious and forgiving. And that's why it's a good thing we're coming to this table today to remind us of that. One last verse, Romans 3.22. We are made right with God by placing our faith in Jesus Christ. And this is true for everyone who believes, no matter who we are. You say, but you don't know what I've done. No matter who you are, no matter what you've been like, if you accept his son, he will accept you. Accept your acceptance. God wants a relationship with you so badly, and he's done all he could do to make that possible through the, the sacrifice of his son on the cross. If you don't understand this, then everything else about your life is going to be on a foundation that's faulty. Maybe you grew up with a dad who was unreasonable. Or maybe you had a father who was unconcerned or unreliable or maybe even unpleasable. But I'd like you to know this morning that your Heavenly Father will never hurt you. He wants to be the father that maybe you never had. He's a compassionate father and everything he does towards you, he does out of love. And even when he says no, it's because he's motivated by love. He's a consistent father. He won't lie to you. He always keeps his promises. He's a father who's caring, and when you fall off the jungle gym of life, he's there to help you out. And it's not a bother. And he's a gracious father. And no matter who you are or what you've done, he'll forgive you and accept you and love you like you've never been loved before. And that's demonstrated through what he did on the cross. Let's pray. And dear Heavenly Father, Thank you that everything you do towards us is out of love. And that even when you demand limitations, it's for our own protection. Thank you that you're a consistent father. That you always keep your promises. That you're not fickle about us. Thank you that you're caring and that you're close. Thank you that your grace has allowed our forgiveness and acceptance. And I would just ask for anyone here today who's come to the realization that today they need to accept your acceptance. I pray they will say thank you and put their trust in your Son. And it's in His name that we pray. Amen.